Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing The Christmas Courtesan by Victoria Vale. This was just published in 2021 and is the first book in the Widow's Four series. I do just want to point out that this was previously published as a part of the holiday anthology Have Yourself a Merry Little Scandal. So if you have that book, you may not want to purchase this one. Although this one has a bonus epilogue that mostly sets up the next book in the series. It like exclusively sets up the next book in the series. I was really mad. It was marked as the epilogue and not as a, and stay tuned for an excerpt from XYZ. Yes. So in other words, if you already own Have Yourself a Merry Little Scandal, probably don't want to buy this one just for that standalone novella. I mean, that standalone epilogue. We did receive a complimentary copy of this novella. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty, so the book jacket. Widowed Lady Miranda Hughes wants to indulge in something wicked. Something she might never have dared to do as a young, unwed debutante. The rumors of male courtesans operating secretly in London have piqued her interest. So she hires one for an illicit rendezvous during a Christmas house party. Roger Thornton's desperation to provide a dowry for his sister pushes him to moonlight as a secret courtesan. What begins as a convenient affair blossoms into more as Roger and Miranda find in one another the things they have been missing. But will a scandalous discovery ruin their chances for a happy future? I have nothing bad to say about this, but it's a little bland. Yeah. I also think my biggest critique of this mm -hmm. is it really isn't that Christmassy. It is not super Christmassy. And it's lip service. It's add Christmas and stir to quote something someone said about something about women and sciences the other day. <laughs> and it's so this, okay, it's a Christmas house party instead of a regular house party. So it snows a little and that's it. That's really, that's really it. That's really about it. There's no like Christmas Eve, whatever. No Christmas Anything. caroling, no activities. There's a passing reference to a sleigh ride. Okay. <laughs> My standards are higher than that. <laughs> this is a tough one for Lane, guys. Okay. I yes. So, as usual, we generated a random number and then wrote our own summaries based on that number. And for this episode, that number is five. So, I will start. He says, uh, my favorite summary. Selling your assets for Christmas. Yes. Uh, I went with a similar theme. Courtesaning for Sister's Christmas Dowry. <laughs> I feel like these are like AI generations. Did you ever hear, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, that someone put all the Harlequin romance yes. novels into a neural network? I swear to God, that's what our five-word summaries, I'm looking it up right now. I, yes, that's what I was thinking of. Courtesaning for Sister's Christmas Dowry. Like, <laughs> Oh my God. There, and there was a whole category on that of Christmas. Yes. So let me see. I, I found it. Okay. The Christmas ones that were generated by a neural network include winning for Christmas, Christmas of the year, Christmas pregnant paradise, Christmas with her blackmail, dessert Santa, the Santa wife, impossible Santa wife, the boss's secret conspiration to Christmas wish, yes. mission Christmas to Nith. 
Is courtesaning for Sisters Christmas Diary on there? <laughs> it should be. I think I've made a new one. Let me just point out. So you know that uh, some of our podcasting friends, the Just Plain Wrong pod, they are doing some Amish Christmas novellas right now. I just want to point out that they are reviewing one called Amish Christmas Baby Gone. Like that, is, <laughs> that is an actual name of Gone. the book. Amish Christmas Baby Gone. Not AI. I mean, maybe AI generated, but then they actually used it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to the Christmas courtesan. <laughs> so the what are the tropes of this novel, Wayne? Okay, so she's a widow. She is. Who's determined that she's only ever falling in love again, or getting married again if she's falling in love. Right. But that she's still young and she's, you know, justifying wanting to embrace her sexuality, even if that sure. doesn't mean marriage. So I think she's a widow we've kind of seen before. Oh, Not for necessarily sure. the one getting a courtesan, but the one like seeking out a lover, figuring that as a widow, she has the right to avoid scandal. Absolutely. And then the other like huge trope is the virgin hero trope. And it goes further. This is like the selling my virginity trope. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> I've got a rant coming. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, but why is he selling his virginity lane? Because he's got a shitty brother. And so his the aristocrat in his family is his brother. So his brother maintains all the assets and is in charge of all of their finances and the land and the title. And he's a piece of shit who loses it with a ga gambling problem. And, well, it's speculation, but we'll call it a gambling problem. And But he's the responsible brother. And so he's the one who needs to go get the money for his sister's dowry. This annoyed me. Because if you're going to make it a Christmas prostitution thing, the reason he needs the money needs to be Christmas. <laughs> There's an option here to really lean in. And she was like, nah, I'm going to go with sister's dowry. And it just happens to be Christmas time. So you mean he needed to buy her a Christmas gift and that's why he's going to sell his body? Yes. Like, I want this to be gift of the Magi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what a sister only gets a virgin brother, but... Would have enjoyed it before. <laughs> oh my god. I'm I'm trying to imagine like what what she could have given away that would like be the equivalent of his virginity. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm sorry, that was okay. Um, <laughs> okay, and uh, this is it does take place at a house party. So yep. house party trope. And they do dance and then go out in the gar garden for some shenanigans, which I so lovingly call a waltz and a garden fondle. And in my least favorite part of the book, there is a misunderstanding based on overhearing, on eavesdropping. I mean, she's not purposely eavesdropping, but she overhears something and there's a misunderstanding. The only way she misunderstood is that she is dumb as a box of fucking rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I hated okay. this I, I really disliked it myself I really disliked I didn't dislike I didn't dislike everything about it but I disliked how she reacted yes okay now that said her reaction lasted all of half a day yeah so 
Thank goodness. It's not like it was life ruining and then it led to eight years of tragic separation. Oh, geez. Yeah. It, it was still frustrating. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I, I want to talk very briefly about Victoria Vale before we go on to talk about this one. So Victoria Vale writes, she writes erotic romance. So she self-publishes it and her books are very erotic. <laughs> this, I would say, is actually one of the least sexy of her books, um, which I was a little disappointed in because I was like, all right. I like Victoria Vale. If I'm looking for what we lovingly call a one-handed read, I will pick up a Victoria Vale with that one hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm. this was my first reading of a Victoria Vale. Yeah. And I think what I like about her is that, like, yes, her books are erotic, so there's a lot of sex in them. But she also is very conversant with romance novel tropes. So all the tropes that I love, she works really well with them and it still feels like a historical romance, even though it's also an erotic romance. I'm sure this will not be the last Victoria Vale we review for the podcast. No, it won't. <laughs> I'm sure it won't. <laughs> okay. So overall, she as a character is really fun. So clearly this is this series name the beginning of the widows for she's got some sort of it's not a club it's just her and her three best friends are all yeah. widows yes and one of the things i really liked in the setup is not all of them were like forced to marry shitty people at a young age they mm -hmm. had very different relationships with their husbands some are still mourning some never did and what i liked about starting with her with starting with miranda is she was very middle of the road yeah it's not a love match she was you know, used as a trade piece in negotiations between this older man and her parents. But he wasn't grossly older. No. And he didn't mistreat her. They weren't in love and they weren't really friends, but they had good sex and she didn't hate her life. And, you know, her predominant feeling when he died was, man, this stranger I've shared my life with isn't here anymore. Yeah. And I think that's so often widow's tales are so dramatic and tragic. Yes, either because they loved their husband so much or because they were so neglected. Yes. That starting out with like, yes, she's a widow and that gives her power in society, but it is not a source of real angst for her in either direction, right. I thought was a really smart choice. She's also a super rich widow, like yes. super rich, which I, I don't think I'm ever going to have a problem with. Yeah. I had more troubles with his character. That's totally fair. I, I will tell you that I, I basically believed that this guy is a 36-year-old virgin, that he's willing to sell his virginity to save his family's finances, and that they fall in love. Like, I actually basically believed in this story arc. There were parts of it that were not ideal, but the basic plot, I believed. I struggled with the basic plot in that there were a lot of things that happened that if I believed who these characters were, and I believed they were both sharp and astute, mm -hmm. I did not believe the series of events at all. So I'll give you an example. He's very close to his extended family. He goes to his cousin's house to talk about the dilemma with her, his brother losing his sister's dowry. And the cousin, who is so loaded herself, 
and super independently wealthy, she has a courtesan and tells him to apply to be one. Mm-hmm. Rather than being like, oh, I'll pay for your sister's dowry. Did he tell her about the dowry? Yes. Oh. Well, Except one, he doesn't try any other way to get the money. He looks into like he, working. No, but he's he like, does. he does. It's well, it says he looked into it, and no matter what he could have done, you know, to be employed, he's not getting a dowry in in time in the time that he needs. So he didn't like look into anything. He thought about a job or marrying a rich person. Those yeah. are the only two things he considered. Ruled them both out because they wouldn't take enough time. He has rich friends and family. That is made very clear throughout this book. And he's not unwilling to talk to them about the problem. So why was this a legitimate option? I don't care, Elaine. I'm reading an erotic romance. I want dude to have to sell his virginity. So that part, I had no issues with it. Like, I don't care. (laughs) Probably she didn't have enough money because she's giving it all to her courtesan. Okay, I doubt that. (laughs) <laughs> some inherent problems there also the courtesan vetting process for all this is supposed to be like this super secretive thing everyone's just going around talking about it there is no interview for the people either hiring or applying to become courtesan everyone just gets taken at face value i'm like for this thing that's supposedly like been a whisper campaign through society for like years everyone in this novel is like knows he's her paid paramour Again, no chance of ever reintegrating into society. All these women now know exactly who he is. Elaine, I don't care. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) His family didn't know and no one else in society knew. Except for all of her friends and the people who told them about it and that guy in the dress shop. Well, yeah, but her friends aren't going to give it away. You have a lot more faith in Maud than I do. Look. Maud is going to get her own book, I'm sure. So <laughs> that's fine. I, I, I didn't care how it came about. I was into it. Okay. All right. This book does have the built-in courtesan conflict, which is the, oh, is he, is he only acting like he loves me because I'm paying him versus, oh, she's paying me. So she, she won't even ever consider a future with me. Right. It's like, did, this is a transactional relationship and we both agreed that they wanted, we wanted liking each other to be part of the transaction. Yes. So at what point does it evolve beyond that setup? Exactly. I mean, and let's be 100% honest, it works when the woman is paying. Like when I'm reading it, if the man was paying her as a mistress, it would be a lot tougher for me to buy and I know this is terrible, but anyway, for, for me to buy her falling in love with him. Yeah. That's all I'll say. I've got another rant to go on, so I don't even want to engage on that one. Okay. Uh, but anyway, since there is this built-in conflict, I really could have done without the contrived misunderstanding at the end. So we already had the perfect conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. Like we, I, I honestly don't think we needed that extra chapter. It also logically made no sense. I mean, when she thought about it for more than five minutes, she realized it. 
I just feel like he's talking about like this thing he's done to try to save his sister. She knows the thing he did. He became a courtesan and is accepting her money to sleep with her. Mm -hmm. So why, and upon overhearing he's come up with a plan, she thinks it's anything other than that is beyond me. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like definitely that part. And also they could have turned it around where he's all worried that she's going to believe it. And then she gets angry at Angus. Yeah. For example, like I, I would have, I probably would have really liked that. You know, sort of turning the trope on its head a little bit. I actually would have as well. Yeah. Come to think of it. And then I do want to mention that if you don't love heartwarming kid subplots in your erotic romance, there is one. <laughs> Yeah, didn't love that. <laughs> just, I'm just mentioning it. You know, part of the reason she falls in love with him is that he's so good with her daughter, basically. I also, I need to laugh. They're like, okay, the perfect place to do this and, like, meet each other for our transaction is this house party, which I'm arranging for you to get an invite to because I've told my friend she has to invite my prostitute. <laughs> right? So inherently within our scheme of meeting each other and seeing how this will go, we're both going to bring our families and we're going to be stuck. And we're going to introduce each other to our families. It is, it does not work at all. <laughs> it's wild. It's really wild. I, I don't know. I was taking it as like this erotic fantasy. And so I was like, this is fine. Like whatever, lay it on, lay it on thick. Yeah. I don't really want, Kissing someone's daughters and boo-boo in an erotic fantasy. I mean, that's... Yes. All right. Uh, in general, I think Victoria Vale is a good writer. And I thought this was fun, if not superlative. It definitely didn't turn me off of reading more by her. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of the elements of this were like a puzzle with missing pieces for me. Particular, this particular one, yeah. Yeah. I get it. All right, content warnings. If selling your virginity is offensive to you, that's what this book is about. Additionally, he's clearly doing this out of desperation. Mm -hmm. There is no veneer of empowerment mm -mm. over it. So, like, this is a guy who has made a decision that he needs to do this as the only option, and he is uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Not to say he doesn't see any potential benefit, even outside of the financial aspect, but this is not, like, his dream job. <laughs> okay, talk to me about uh, his virginity lane. I thought it was handled very badly. Okay. And I do not go on this rant often about men. Part of what I talk about is it's... I'm often more into virgin hero than virgin heroine subplots when it's made a part of the plot because I don't feel like it's infantilizing to the man she's when he's not immediately all over her she gets really insecure and rather than just being like oh maybe he's just not into me it becomes this he's such a freak for being a virgin because he's too picky and that must all be wrapped up in why no one's he hasn't slept with anyone because no one's good enough for him and it sort of becomes this attack on his life and his choices specifically his lack of sexual experience when she doesn't know him yet I thought it was really toxic and really stigmatizing. Like, she definitely, for all that she never says the words to him, like, viewed the whole situation as both something to fetishize, like, ooh, I get an untrained man, 
and something to throw in his face, even if it's only in her own head. I disliked it a lot. Yeah. I mean, the, the issue, the issue with the selling virginity trope is that virginity is a fetish in that point. It's not, you know, character development. Right. It's not, you know, let's, let's explore, you know, why this person might be this way. It's really, you know, it's a, it's a plot device. It's a fetish. Well, and especially tied up in, we didn't mention this in tropes, but he has a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're seeing an increase in romance novel heroes with what today would not be stigmatized conditions viewed as extreme disabilities in the historical era, like a speech impediment, like a dyslexia, like not having an education and learning how to read. Some, some things that are physiological or psychological and other things that are just environmental. And so this throws into he's a virgin because this other thing is wrong with him. Mm -hmm. And I just, I did not think any of it was handled well. Okay. I did not have the same issues you did with it. I did not particularly. So I think I am realizing that. So virgin hero is one of my preferred tropes, but I think it does have to serve the novel and not be just a fetish. Yes. So it wasn't particularly. I was when I read the synopsis for this, I was like, yes, virgin hero um, auction at Christmas time. Like, okay, I'm about I'm all about this. And I read it and I was like, oh, okay. I, I like a lot of virgin hero books, not to the same degree you do, but I do agree that seeing a man make a choice that was so outside of the social norms, often for a noble reason. Um and then you know, meeting the woman inevitably that he chooses to have sex with. And their relationship is something that I, I often do enjoy because it's often not about the man being defined by his sexuality in the way young unmarried women are. Mm -hmm. I think here, everything I like about the trope and what it says about a man's choices, like it wasn't a choice. Right. In the sense that like, he was just the first woman he ever tried to bed, freaked out about his speech impediment and he never tried again. Right. So it wasn't like winter make peace being like, I don't want to risk another bastard in the world. I mean, winter make peace is like the best virgin hero of all time. Or it wasn't a man trying to live up to his principles. Right. Saying like, hey, I don't think an honorable man sleeps with women. It wasn't even like the moral rake who only sleeps with widows and actresses. Right. Like this was not a choice. It was not an ideology. It wasn't, and it doesn't have to be like whether or not you have sex doesn't have to be that choice. But often what I like about Virgin heroes is the virginity is representative of their inherent sense of morality. Right. And here it wasn't representative of anything other than he flipped out trying to have sex once 14 years ago. Yes. I just want to point out that he has a stutter. He's worked on it. He hasn't overcome it completely. I was reminded a little bit of um, Simon Bassett. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Who overcame his stutter and became the biggest rake of the town. So, anyway. How sexy was this book? There were a lot of, like, awkward sexy scenes. And then by the time the sex happened, I was so over both of them that I don't feel qualified to rate this. <laughs> So I thought it was pretty sexy. As I said before, this isn't as sexy as I've come to expect from Victoria Vale. 
I'll just say that. I will say I really liked their waltz in a garden fondle. Yeah. Especially because they're like, they're just obviously so into each other that they're like, yeah, this is a great idea to go fuck in the hedge, basically. Yes. And then they come back to the ball and she's got like sticks in her hair. Yeah, it's like she looks like they fucked in a hedge. Uh, like they I don't know to that's what I liked I don't know they just were just were really into each other at that point but then the next scene is when things go to shit so it's just like you didn't get to enjoy the good sexy stuff because then stupid things were happening immediately it's true it is very sexy in that probably a third of the book is sex scenes or sex adjacent yeah, him going down on her in a hedge and then her flipping over on a bench and be like, now do me from behind. Worked. He thought, okay, guys. <laughs> I'm not saying it didn't. I'm saying I was eye-rolling at the character so hard that it was hard to be like, objectively, this was really hot. All right. And my favorite part of all of these ratings. Uh, what's your candy cane rating, Lane? Like Two. Well, I'm, I'm actually surprised. I thought you were going to do one or even negative. I feel like one, and this is this year's ranking system. I don't remember what my parameters were last year. But I feel like one for me, I want to reserve for like the poor orphans at Christmas that are more depressing than joyful. The little this match girl, this, yeah. Yeah, like like the I want one to be like the novella version of the Christmas shoes song. Yeah. Like, why does this exist? I don't want right. to hear about your dying mom. Yeah. <laughs> Not in real life, you guys. In I'm real life, you can tell friends. Lane about your dying mom. <laughs> but I don't want that in my Christmas consumption. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is not, like, offending me in its Christmas sensibilities, but it doesn't do anything, really, other than, like, put a Christmas label and some snow on it. Yeah, it's not a special... I mean, even I can recognize <laughs> that it's not, you know, <laughs> like, Christmassy. There's no mistletoe. She has a green dress. She has a green dress. There's a sleigh ride. That they don't go on. No. There's a snow. There's some snowball fights. Snow, snowball fights. It's 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 lip service. It's not really Christmassy, but at least it didn't offend me to my very core on the Christmas front. (laughs) To your very core. Good. And that's what a one is. A one is I actually want to go on a full Christmas rant. Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, well, guys, I, honestly, if this is your fetish, you should probably check this book out. If not, you maybe not the best Christmas novella that you would want to read this season. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>